Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the family of a teen who died by suicide nearly a year ago is suing her school district, alleging the system failed to protect her from bullying. We filed this lawsuit to seek justice for Adriana and to hold the school district, school officials, and especially the superintendent accountable. Plus, ready to run. I can tell you right now, I have been consistent. I will be consistent if we're going to win. State Senator John Bramnick becomes the first Republican to officially throw his hat in the ring for New Jersey governor. Also, $1 homes. Newark sells city-owned properties for a buck as part of a new program to boost homeowner rates. I was just shocked, complete shock, right? Because you, you dream about it, you pray about it, you know, you talk to your family about it, you talk to your friends about it, and then for it to actually happen, it's, it's a dream, a dream country. And smoking ban. Lawmakers say they're confident they have the votes to pass a smoking ban on casino floors. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. The family of 14-year-old Adriana Cush, who died by suicide nearly a year ago, is suing her former school district, alleging administrators at Central Regional High School knew a, quote, culture of violence existed within the school system, but failed to protect the teen from it. Video posted to social media just days before Cush took her life showed the freshman being viciously attacked in a school hallway. It later became known Cush was the victim of repeated bullying, and in the aftermath of her death, more videos surfaced of other bullying incidents against students at the school. A senior correspondent, Brenda Flanagan, reports the civil lawsuit filed by the family also targets the former superintendent. This case is widely seen as a way to right a terrible wrong. Attorney Bill Craze represents Adriana Kutch's family. The 14-year-old died by suicide last February after four classmates at Central Regional High School assaulted her and then posted videos of that attack on social media. Today, Craze announced her family suing the school district's Board of Education, claiming it failed in its duty to properly protect Adriana from attacks and cyberbullying. They knew they had a bullying problem. There, were, there are two other lawsuits pending besides ours. So those three lawsuits combined uh, show that this problem had proceeded long before February 1, 2023. The seven-count civil suit names the board, several school officials, and especially former Superintendent Triantafilos Parlopanides, asserting that for years they knew or should have known a culture and climate of harassment, intimidation, and bullying existed at Central Regional High School, which included physical assaults like this one recorded by students and posted on social media. It claims that after the attack on Adriana, defendants also breached their duties by failing to conduct an adequate, timely, and thorough investigation of the physical attack, which would have eliminated the risk of a subsequent cyber attack on Adriana. The Kutch family has been left with one option, and that's to file this lawsuit. They filed this lawsuit to seek justice for Adriana 
and to hold the school district, school officials, and especially the superintendent accountable. The lawsuit also accuses former Superintendent Parla Panides of invading Adriana and the Kutch family's privacy, defaming them and inflicting emotional distress by making false statements about her father's relationships and illegally disclosing private information about Adriana's mental health. The suit says Parla Panides told a reporter Adriana's dad would just have to eat the sandwich after she died. There is currently in New Jersey no meaningful consequence of any kind for schools and administrators that don't adequately protect and support kids, including when kids die. So this lawsuit is not a, uh, a, a shock to me, in a sense, and, and I can only, you know, welcome it. Stuart Green served on Jersey's recent anti-bullying task force. He cites the Tyler Clementi and Mallory Grossman lawsuits as cases that resulted in new state anti-bullying laws. These tragedies are what drives progress in terms of schools addressing bullying. And, uh, and that's disgraceful. Cray says the family, especially Adriana's father, Michael, felt too upset to speak out as the one-year anniversary of her death approaches. A day doesn't go by. Uh, a moment doesn't go by. He doesn't think about his daughter. Um, he wakes up in the middle of the night um, screaming her name. Central Regional recently filed a lawsuit against social media platforms it claims enables teen cyberbullying. NJ Spotlight News has reached out to the district and former Superintendent Parlopanides for comment on this lawsuit, which seeks compensatory and punitive damages. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. He bills himself as the funniest lawyer in New Jersey, and now State Senator John Bramnick is officially the first Republican to announce his candidacy for governor. Bramnick launched his 2025 campaign during a splashy event on Saturday at a comedy club in New Brunswick where he occasionally performs stand-up. Bramnick is a moderate, longtime lawmaker and vocal Trump critic. As senior political correspondent David Cruz reports, he's also likely to be a formidable candidate. It's called Uber. <laughs> you gotta have a sense of humor to run for office in New Jersey where politicians are most often funny when they're not trying to be. In declaring for the Republican gubernatorial primary this week, Senator John Bramnick was a little more serious than usual. I do not fear speaking out against those who dwell in hate and ridicule. I have no fear of those who act like out-of-control high school bullies on social media. There's going to be plenty of time for funny, and I think there were probably three or four lines that were funny, but you know, it is, it's serious. And with a crowd of close to 300, including a couple of county chairs and some other big time state GOP names, serious is what many observers were saying today. You know, usually we're used to seeing a, a sparse room full of people. Um, he had um, luminaries from within the national party. He had supporters. Um, this was a nice rollout for him. And it's actually a pretty good time to be a Republican gubernatorial candidate. You have a lame duck Democrat heading into a year where a hyped up electorate could experience some economic stress from fare increases and tax increases and maybe a rollback of some state services. 
and New Jersey rarely elects a governor from the same party three times in a row. New Jersey is known as a blue state, and I, you know, where we end up electing a Republican is when there's a certain connection beyond party. And we've seen that happen before with Christy Whitman. I think more apropos to this is uh, Chris Christie. Political consultant James G says Bramnick's likability, he's buddies with Chris Christie and Phil Murphy, will go a long way in the primary, even though he'll be staking out the moderate ground that the as yet to declare Jack Cittarelli also hopes to occupy. The Republican nominee last time got really close and that that he is a certain for a repeat, but this entry to the race could make things more interesting. Bramnick and Cittarelli are likely to face a challenge from the party's right wing, which totaled close to 49% of the primary vote in 2021. It now looks like the moderates might be duking it out and might be splitting up their vote and, and give the right uh, a solid path forward. So, um, you know, that's that's a very good question is how they navigate that and figure that out. Bramnick is the loudest anti-Trumper in the state GOP. He says voters will always know where he stands on that issue, as opposed to Jack Cittarelli, who's still workshopping his message on that. Are you a Donald Trump supporter? I won't be voting for Joe Biden. And, um, but listen, I want to be governor, and there's a good chance Donald Trump might be the president. Bramnick's a pretty mainstream guy, he says, open to compromise and always talking about civility and balance in government. Policy-wise, he says he's a low-taxes, pro-business, and pro-choice Republican. A touch of Tom Kane Sr., a dash of Christy Whitman, and maybe a pinch of Chris Christie light. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. The White House tonight is vowing an appropriate response to the drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers and injured at least 40 others on Sunday at an outpost in Jordan. It's the first time U.S. troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of the war in Gaza. Sergeant William Rivers and Specialists Kennedy Sanders and Brianna Moffitt, all from Georgia, were killed in the attack. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby today emphasized the Biden administration is not interested in escalating a broader conflict in the region. But the attack represents a significant shift in an already perilous situation there. The Islamic resistance in Iraq claimed responsibility for firing the missiles from the Syrian border. The group is a loose coalition of militias supported by Iran who oppose U.S. support for Israel in the war with Hamas. Republicans today are criticizing the Biden administration for not taking stronger actions against Iran-backed groups in previous attacks. Trouble continues at the state's nursing homes. Two more long-term care facilities are being suspended from New Jersey's Medicaid program after regulators cited poor care at the facilities and evidence of massive Medicaid fraud in several New York nursing homes under the same owners. The Deptford and Hamilton Centers for Re Rehabilitation and Health Care will be dropped from the state program on May 24th. Suspension from Medicaid payments typically forces a facility to be sold or closed 
closed, but this announcement carries extra weight since it comes just weeks after the state suspended two other nursing homes. For more on what it means and how it'll affect patients, I'm joined by Lori Brewer, New Jersey's long-term care ombudsman. Lori Brewer, good to have you on the show. Your reaction, first of all, to this announcement that the state is going to drop both Deptford and Hamilton from Medicaid payments. Well, I think, you know, one of the issues that we have in long-term care in New Jersey across the country is that we have what we suspect to be quite a bit of profit-taking in this industry. And as we all know, uh, most of these long-term care facilities make their money from Medicaid and also from Medicare. So they're essentially public funded. There aren't a lot of private pay residents in long-term care facilities in New Jersey or across the country. And so we have a couple of facilities here run by the same owners who are notorious in the state of New York, who are, uh, are, are being charged with a number of very, very, very serious uh, practices in the state of New York that resulted in extremely poor care there. And they own two, two places in New Jersey. And those places just happen to have had some recent terrible surveys, and they tend to be the lowest uh, rated facilities uh, year after year after year. They've both been cited repeatedly for health and safety violations. As you mentioned, on a federal level, they have, I believe it's one star. Uh, in terms of their surveys and their ratings. So how have they been allowed to continue operating? The fact is that the regulatory system for nursing homes in the state of New Jersey and every state in the nation is constructed by the federal government and carried out by the state. And so what happens is that these long-term care facilities are cited. Sometimes their admissions are curtailed. Often they have to pay fines. But the fact is that for some of these providers, um, and this is a recognized issue in long-term care, um, paying fines is the cost of doing business. What's the more direct impact for the patients under their care? Both of these facilities have, you know, a couple hundred beds each. What does it mean for them? Well, I think what happened uh, and what is happening in some facilities in northern New Jersey is instructive here because what can happen is that the, um, the debarment from the Medicaid program is attached to the owners. It is not attached to the facility itself. So in as much as those owners perhaps sell or transfer ownership, then the Medicaid uh, debarment does not apply to the facility at all. So what is happening in some other places is that the facilities are being sold. For now, nothing should really change for the residents. But this, you know, we I think there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, and we're going to have to see where this really, where this goes. How do we look at this big picture, Lori, when as a resident, perhaps someone with a family member in any one of the facilities throughout the state, we see continuously that these facilities are being cited, um, that there are accusations of, of fraud, um, and that also it appears anyway uh, that the allegations that come out are pretty serious about the conditions in these homes, what are we left to believe then? I think that there is a very real uh, staffing challenge in long-term care facilities, um, and there are many excellent facilities in the state of New Jersey. But there are some facilities that are notorious not just here, but also in other states. And their finances are relatively hidden from us. So what we need in this state, and something I've been pushing for for two years, is greater transparency into the finances 
of many of these long-term care facilities. And there is a bill that has been introduced in the legislature by Senator Joe Vitale that would endeavor to do that. And I think we really need to push for that now. Lori Brewer is the ombudsperson for New Jersey's long-term care facilities. Lori, always good to talk to you. Thank you, Brianna. Take care. Bye-bye. A dollar can't get you much these days, but in Newark, it could buy you a home. Brick City today held the latest lottery round, choosing residents for a new program aimed at increasing homeownership. The city-owned properties need to be repaired or constructed, but as Melissa Rose Cooper reports, they only cost a buck, and selected owners will get a low-interest mortgage to help pay for it. Dreams of joy after LaToya Hardin realized she was one step closer to having a new home. Oh my gosh, it, it was just shock, complete shock, right? Because you, you dream about it, you pray about it, you know, you talk to your family about it, you talk to your friends about it, and then for it to actually happen, it's, it's a dream, a dream come true. Hardin giving high fives with her son Corey right by her side as she proudly accepted the keys to her house in Newark, sold to her for just one dollar. A lifelong Newark resident, Hardin says she's looking forward to the future opportunities her new home will create. Within, you know, five or ten years, these houses could be worth a million dollars, right? Because Newark is on the rise, you know, so that's important. Financial stability, having a place for my son to always go, even when, you know, I leave this earth. He is a student here in North Star uh, in Newark, and, and hard work pays off, and that's important. That's what's important. We did it. Hardin is one of several residents who are now proud homeowners thanks to the Newark Home Ownership Revitalization Program Lottery. The city partnering with the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America to offer eligible longtime residents the chance to buy a city-owned property for as little as $1. They must commit to live in the properties for a minimum of 10 years. Never been done before like this. Never been done. So when you drive around Newark, right, you see they get out. You see, they get lots. See, who owns those? And how can I own one of those homes and renovate it if they get, or put a new construction, beautiful house on that property? So Newark is setting the national standard for the $1 program. We have no because we need to, we have to. Uh, obviously, we are very poor homeowners in the city of Newark. At the same time, deal with the both down. It's just the state of Jersey. Uh, it's an option to get that done. The program aims to raise home ownership rates among residents, as roughly 78% are renters. And so it's really important for us because that means three out of door people are renting. But we want more people to own their house and build equity and have savings for yourself, for your family, to help your kids if you have them go to school or to be able to have. Um, funds for retirement, for any of those other exciting things that you want to do. Hardin is just thankful she'll finally have a home to call her own. Something we can hold from generations on. My family will be taken care of, his family will be taken care of, and that's what was important to me, to, to have that, um, you know, to have the village start now and then be able to continue from generations on. And city officials say as more houses become available, more residents will have the chance to get one through future lotteries. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper.
In our Spotlight on Business report, it took several attempts, but a bill to ban smoking on the floors of New Jersey's casinos cleared its first hurdle. The legislation today got approval from the Senate Health Committee, despite opposition from the casino industry and even some casino workers. As Ted Goldberg reports from Trenton, the bill still needs to pass the full legislature and get a signature from Governor Murphy, but that didn't dampen spirits. Ted? Brianna, the reaction here was mostly jubilant when the bill moved out of committee and is now one step closer to becoming law. It was not unanimous, though. You heard some familiar arguments. You heard casino dealers saying how barbaric it was to have cigarette smoke and cigar smoke being blown in their face while working. But you also had some folks saying that there could be a cut to business for all of these casinos in Atlantic City. So while these arguments are pretty familiar for folks who have been following this, the momentum behind making this bill a law is fairly recent. On Facebook, we're notified with all the pictures. There was 150 of our friends and co-workers that have died in the last five years at the Taj, from the, just from the Taj Mahal, not including all the other casinos. And we had this fight for them. When I was six months pregnant and um, I was put in the back of a private room with high rollers and they were all smoking cigars. And, uh, you know, I had to go home. I was, it was terrible. I was couldn't move from the table. This is all about good paying jobs with good benefits and we want to preserve them and protect them. I don't understand how anyone just can't see why our, our, our health is not put before money. When we look holistically at the livelihood of the 22,269 casino workers that exist in our Atlantic City casinos, we want those jobs to be there. We want them to be able to have those jobs and work in their chosen profession. There needs to be improvement to, to this current status quo, but enacting a full ban is gonna be an economic catastrophe for Atlantic City, for Atlantic County, and for the state as a whole. The back and forth between senators and some of the folks who were testifying got a little contentious at times, as Senator Joseph Vitale did not buy the argument that smoking is going to lead people to move their business from Atlantic City to Philadelphia. We know the experience of what happened with restaurants and those of us who were part of this legislature back in 2006. We heard from the association, the restaurateurs and other bar owners and who said that they would uh, lose business, people would not come, uh, wait staff and others would be laid off by the score, uh, and none of that happened. The biggest obstacle is this argument that we've been fighting for almost two decades, that when things go smoke-free, that business goes down. What we know is that when casinos go smoke-free around the country, revenue goes up and they outperform their smoking counterparts. There is uh, a competitive advantage in Pennsylvania that we have this issue in New Jersey because most of our customers come from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. So they will simply go over the bridge to Pennsylvania and take their business there. I have more people that will come and play that refuse to come because of the smoke that will over, that's, you know, 10 times more than the people we're going to lose from smoking. More people would actually come to AC because they're going to give them a better experience free of cancer-causing carcinogens and toxins. And also with only 11% of the U.S. population being smokers, you're opening your doors to more potential players. Casino employees tell me they know there's still a long path ahead before this bill becomes a law. But after how today went, they're sounding pretty optimistic. Brianna? All right, thank you, Ted. 
On Wall Street, stocks held steady today as investors prepare for a busy week of earnings updates. Here's how the markets close. The state's top Democratic lawmakers are putting pressure on the Department of Environmental Protection over the state agency's plan to revitalize Liberty State Park in Jersey City. In a letter to the DEP first obtained by the Jersey Journal, Senate President Nick Scuteri and Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin urged the DEP to reconsider its plan to clean up the roughly 234-acre contaminated interior section of the park while building new meadows and wetlands inside. Instead, they want them to let a controversial task force they created have more say in the project. The task force was created by a fast-tracked bill in 2022 and has several members who are allies with billionaire Paul Fireman. Fireman has been pushing for years to recreate the park into a sports and entertainment destination, but environmental and park activists fought against that plan in favor of the DEPs. In the letter, Scutari and Coughlin said the task force was never consulted on the department's decisions for the park, which they called deeply troubling, and even threatened to withhold state funding for the project in the future. The task force is holding a public meeting tomorrow night at the park to consider the plans. And that does it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow night. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. NJM Insurance Group has been part of New Jersey for over a century. We support our communities through NJM's corporate giving program, supporting arts and culture-related and nonprofit organizations that serve to improve the lives of children, rebuild communities, and help to create a new generation of safe drivers. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.